Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. Right, if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 will begin in verse 17 in just a moment. Back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul had begun an instruction to the believers at Ephesus. But then he digressed to speak about the body of the church, which we've talked about the last few weeks. But in verse 17, he again picks up this instruction on this idea of walking worthy, walking worthy of the calling they had received. And of course, you know, in the scriptures, whenever we talk about walking, frequently it's referring to the way that we live. So over the next five sessions, we're going to be talking about this idea of walking worthy of the calling we've received through our mini-series in Ephesians 4 and 5. As Having just finished examining the idea of unity in the church, now we're going to turn and focus on the holiness of the believers. So we'll see the the moral nature of our lives, not only how we interact with one another in the body of Christ and in the church, but how we demonstrate the nature of Christ to those outside the church by the way that we live. And so we must walk in holiness. Now tonight is kind of an opening. It's more of a general instruction that Paul gives about how to walk worthy and kind of that command to walk worthy. And we'll see two main points. First is how the believer should not walk or how the believer should not live. And then we'll see how the believer should walk. So let's begin reading in verse 17. Paul writes, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, That ye walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. So let's pause there. Because first, to walk worthy, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says you must stop living like your old self. You must take off the old self, he'll say in just a minute. So he says, don't believe, don't walk, don't live like the Gentiles. They no longer walk as the Gentiles walk because you are to walk worthy of your calling. Now, here's a reminder. They did walk as the Gentiles walked because they were pagan Gentiles. Remember, we're in Ephesus. They have a primarily Gentile pagan background. Uh, But now they've been called to do something different. They have received a higher calling, and so they must renounce their old way of life and their wicked ways, and in coming to Christ, they should habitually avoid living like the Gentiles. So what does Paul mean here? To what level do we not look like the world around us? I mean, obviously, we're still alive, we're still living, we're still going to eat, still going to have things that we drink, so we're, we're going to look somewhat like people, but we're going to look different from a non-believer. So it helps to picture both the nature 
and the practice of what we should do. So that's what Paul gives us in 17 through 19. So first, let's look at the nature of the godless. The nature of the godless. Once again, in verse 17, he said, We're not to walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So Paul draws some of the features of pagan life for us. First, he says, we ought to have the futility of their minds because their minds are darkened. They cannot understand. So let, let me ask this question. What is the purpose of the human mind? What do you think? What's the purpose of the human mind? To think and reason? About what particularly? I would say the purpose of the human mind is to marvel at the greatness of God. To look at all that God has given, to see the revelation that he's given to us, and to respond to it in worship. Think about this. When you look up at the sky at night, and you see the vast expanse of the stars and all, all the galaxies and everything that we can see up in the sky, the innumerable stars, and then even with scientific exploration, we've been able to see galaxies. We've been able to see outside of our solar system. We've learned that our, we're just one planet in the solar system. We're just one solar system among many in the galaxy. And we're just one galaxy out of an innumerable number of galaxies. The universe is so large and so filled with things that we can't even imagine and we have to just see it and look at it and we should look upon this and praise the creator who made all of it so general revelation gives us god's glory and then as we come to his word and we see the amazing acts of redemption the amazing feats that he does the way that he loves us we should stand and marvel at the amazing acts and nature of god but paul says that the pagan mind has been darkened. The pagan Ephesians, they will look up at the stars and what would they do? They'd search for signs from their gods, their idols. They would build temples to these false deities. Remember, they're in Ephesus, which had the temple of Diana there. And, you know, if we think about our day, pagans look up, non-Christians look up at the sky and see this scientific advances and they think, wow, isn't evolution great? Isn't it marvelous how everything accidentally came together and we're able to see this vast beauty? They can't see the reality before them that there is a creator, God, who had these glorious acts of creation, these glorious acts of redemption. But when they look at it, they don't see God. They see what they want to see. And Romans 1, 21 Paul wrote, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks because they became futile in their speculation and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the phrase, this futility of mind in verse 17, conveys the idea that they cannot perceive the revelation of God. Their futile thinking 
And scripture talks about idolatry over and over again. It's this idolatrous conditioning of the mind to look at the things of God and think, well, God's surely not the answer for that. There's got to be something else. The futile mind has wrong ideas about God. And even in the realm of ethics, we think about this. Despite the strenuous efforts of non-believers, these ideals of right and wrong can't be correctly understood, nor can they be achieved. They can't picture the highest of ideals. They don't have the power to live up to the highest of ideals. Their darkened minds prevent them from right moral decisions. You know, we have cultural debates all the time. Of course, this week, you know what the topic is about? Guns. Should we keep them? Should we be allowed to carry them? Now, I'm not here to answer that question one way or the other. I'll leave that up to you. But when you come to this question of what is the right course, how do you decide what the right course is? How does a godless society decide? By what standard do they hold? Now, before the shooting, the focus was on abortion because we we're looking at the potential of Roe v. Wade being overturned. But this idea of whose rights are more important? Should the woman's right to this so-called medical care be allowed, encouraged, or should the rights of the baby be elevated? Which one's more important? So how do you decide if you don't have a standard to look at? Well, this is what we see in our godless society. It's impossible to make the right decision without God's revelation. Amen. And so to have the understanding darkened is to be able, unable to have the faculty of discernment to know what is right and wrong, to be able to look at the word of God and to look at the, the nature of God and to know what is morally right and wrong. So the non-Christian is described here as being also alienated from the life of God. They're still in the grips of spiritual death. And if we look back in Ephesians 2 verse 1, what did Paul tell them there? He said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There are two reasons that Paul says that they are dead here in chapter 4. The first is that they are ignorant. They don't know about God. They don't know God. But this is not simply innocent uh, ignorance. You know, they say ignorance is bliss. But in this case, that's not the, not the way it is. For Paul speaks more in depth about this over in Romans 1. So if you want to turn with me real quick, we'll go back and forth between Ephesians 4 and Romans 1 for the rest of this evening. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. We'll read through verse 23 for now. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident... Within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be, be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now keep your finger there because we'll come back in a minute 
But here's my point here. This is an intentional ignorance. It's sticking your fingers in your ears and going, la, 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 I'm not listening. It's putting your hands in front of your face and saying, I don't want to see this. Human beings have dismissed God. They've refused to glorify him as God or to thank him for creating them. Their ignorance says in Romans 2.1, uh, it's not an excuse. It's not from an external source. It's in them, Paul says. Therefore, the pagans should repent of their sin and turn to God. But the second reason he says they're excluded here back in Ephesians 4 is that they have the hardness of their hearts. And of course, in Scripture, the heart is the center of a person. It's the will. It's the seat of thought and understanding of volition and of religious and moral conduct. So this hardening of the hearts is a progressive inability of conscience to convict them of that which is wrong, their sin. And in the next verse, verse 19, Paul will go on to say that they have become callous. This is the same idea, this callousness. Now, this is a, a verb here that they have become this, or an adjective, I suppose I should say. Um, but we use the noun form to talk about you know, when you have something on your skin that has uh, become hard and callous and no longer feels pain. So I was thinking about this as, um, as Noah was playing a minute ago. When you play guitar, when you first start playing, it hurts because you're putting your fingers on those strings and those strings are cutting into your fingers and, and it just doesn't feel good. So you can't play for very long without having to stop and let them rest. But then as you continue to practice, and the more frequently you practice, and the more regularly you practice, you begin to build up calluses on your fingers. And so then when you're playing those strings, it doesn't hurt quite so bad. And you can, go, you can play for longer, and I think you can go for longer periods of time in between without practicing if you've already built up good calluses. Well, that's the idea that Paul's saying here, is that these unbelievers, their hearts have become callous to God. What should cause a moral pain is not causing anything. They're, it's desensitized. Their hearts have become desensitized. They're insensitive to spiritual matters and to moral issues and the revelation of God and of God's will. It doesn't penetrate their understanding and they become ignorant of God's revelation and his will. And this continues on and grows they become more and more callous so they can go longer periods of time without feeling that prick. When God's word speaks to them, they can turn aside and not, not pay it any attention. And of course, that leads to an unregenerate lifestyle, as we see in verse 19. Read with me there. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So we see the practice of godlessness. Uh, the darkened mind that's away from God leads to giving over to one sensuality. Another, um, other translations will use the word promiscuity, debauchery. It's once again this idea of idolatrous practices. God created humanity to worship him, to love him, and to live lives of holiness. But when you're turning away from God and you're walking away from God and you're not letting him 
interact in your life, you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit's calling, you begin to go away and do what you want. And as often stated, what you believe affects what you do. Orthodoxy affects orthopraxy. And so what you believe about God determines how you live. For the unbeliever who's rejected God doesn't pay God any attention it moves further and further away from God's standard of holiness. Let's look again at Romans 1, verse 24. Let's just read through verse 28. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their bodies to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the, crea- the creature who, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not prosper, proper. So there is a disregard for self-respect. There is a disregard for the rights of others. There's a disregard for just public decency. And here, impurity can mean sexual misconduct, but it also refers, refers to various forms of moral evil. Uh, Paul told the Colossians in 3, 5 of that letter, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So the the non-Christian who's still dead in their sin, they do these things. And not in some measure, Paul says, they take them greedily. They do so, they want more. Um, Maybe a a good example of this would be my uh, professor I had in, in my undergrad. Uh, he was an atheist, history, humanities professor, and he ended up, he was originally my advisor, uh, but he and I butted heads and ended up not being my advisor anymore. But he told everybody in, in my entry-level class, he said, I am all for homosexuality between men. I don't like it between women, but I'm okay with it between men because then that makes more women available for me. And that illustrates the way that people think without God. The practice of godless people is to seek more sinful action and to see what can I do to make things better for me. Paul's instruction to the Ephesians is to stop living like these godless pagans that you have been, turn away from that, and instead walk worthy of the calling you have received. And so as we look into the next few verses, 20 through 24, to walk worthy, Paul says you must put on your new self. Against this walk of the Gentiles that he's been setting up here in these verses, Paul places the truth as it is in Jesus. The you that we see here in verse 20, he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You are in Jesus. You are called to be godly, not godless. The readers of this letter had learned the gospel of Jesus in a way that did not condone 
their old pagan habits. They were taught that Christian discipleship required them to, to renounce their pagan habits, their vices, and to cultivate true Christian holiness. And so he says, take off your old self and put on the new self. Read with me in verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught him in him, just as truth is in Jesus. So he says, live as you have been instructed. So in this context, realize Paul's saying the believer is required to learn Christ. To learn Christ. Now, we're called to be Christ's disciples. If you've accepted Christ, you've said, I submit to be his disciple. What is a disciple? It's one who studies the master, learns what the master is, what he stands for, learn his teachings, see how he lives, and conform your life to that pattern. And so it's more than just simply learning Jesus' teachings. I like the way one of my professors said, you, you learn to develop in the character and in the competencies of Jesus. So factual learning is, is good, but it's not sufficient. The goal is not to know about Christ. The, no, the goal is not to know Christ's teachings alone. The goal is to learn Christ and to know Christ personally. And so Paul says the believers in Ephesus, they have learned Christ. These are believers. They're, they come from Jewish background. They come from Gentile background. They had previously opposed God. They had heard the gospel of Christ preached, and they had received him. They were converted, the beginning point of learning Christ. So believers continually learn Christ. We become more like him, and our new life in him is no longer concerned with rules and regulations. We're concerned with following Christ, living Christ. Another way to say that is following the living Christ. Therefore, the, the learner, that is us, begins to order our lives to please Christ. Now, the way the New American Standard renders verse uh, 21 kind of makes it sound like Paul's questioning if they had come to know Christ. And uh, I don't think that's the case. Remember, Paul had gone to them. He had planted this church. So he had, they had heard him. They had been taught by Paul about Christ. And I like the way the NIV renders this better. For it says, when you heard about Christ and were taught by him. He can ex exhort them to live, to not live as godless pagans because he knows that they have accepted Christ. They've heard him uh, and have come to know him. Now, the time has passed. It's been about five or six years. And so Paul here is gently reminding them of what they had heard when he was there. And so since then, Paul expected that they had continued in their discipleship. They had continued to learn Jesus, that Jesus is both the object and the sphere of the believer's learning. So they've not only learned who Jesus is, Jesus' teachings, but also how all of that applies to their lives. Uh, the, perhaps the modern phrasing would be uh, a biblical Christian worldview. How, have they developed that? 
as they continue to know Jesus more, but how to live like Jesus in their context. Look with me at verse 21. Just the last part there. Just as truth is in Jesus. Now, this is just a small phrase here in in this, but I think it's significant. Paul told the Ephesians that the nature of their instruction is truth. And this truth is embodied in Jesus. Truth needs to be understood as reality. And it contrasts with that that is false or deceptive. And this takes on more meaning in the next verse when we get to there. Because we'll see that the old self, the pagan ways that we've been talking about, they were corrupted with deceit. They were corrupted with deceit. So he's saying, Jesus is the truth. Conform your life to him and reject what was previously because it was deceit. So Paul's instruction is for the believers to grow in the truth that is embodied in Christ Jesus. And so as we think about walking worthy, we must walk in truth. And in John 14, 6, we learn that that truth is the person of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's not, truth is not some intangible thing that's out there that you have to go find. It's not some abstract idea. It's a person. It's Jesus. And we study about him and study his word in the Bible. And that is the anchor for all of life. And as you think about the scriptures, what does that point to? It either points to it or back to it. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So if you accept Jesus, that not only secures your future hope, but it anchors you in this life. It tells you how you are to live, how you are to walk. And if you reject Jesus, it not only leads to an eternity in hell, but it leads to you living life that is not right. So the nature of the instructions here to the Ephesians was not just accept Christ so you can go to heaven one day. It was accept Christ and see how he answers all the questions in your life. How does it affect your daily mundane life that you were in Christ? How does it affect your decisions? How does it affect your relationships? That's what Paul's concerned about in this letter. And we're going to look more into this in the weeks to come. Because this does the same for us. If Jesus is the embodiment of truth, as Paul says, and as we believe, it changes how you live. Look with me at verse 22. Let's go ahead and read through the end of this passage, verse 24. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So finally, Paul gets to the content of his instruction. He says, they're not to live as the Gentiles, right? Put off your old self. In verse 25 and beyond, he'll show what this looks like more specifically as it's opposed to our selfish purposes. We seek to please God. But in this transition between this selfish life that we had in the past and this 
life that seeks to please God, there's a transition. What does this transition look like? Verse 22 looks like a command. It says, lay aside the old self. Now, I'm not sure it's really a command there in the best rendering. Uh, a similar passage is found over in the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. Paul writes, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Uh, and so I think maybe what's trying to, as we look at the compendium here, what's trying to go on is show this tension that we live in of this has already happened, but yet it's not happened. And, and that's a common tension we find in Paul's letters. And so we've already laid aside the old person at conversion, but yet we're not fully to the next stage, and nor will we be until we're taken from this earth. The idea is that we should become in practice what God has already made us in reality. It's kind of like when you buy a home. You've purchased the house. You've got the key. But you've bought it from somebody else. And you go in and you look around and you see a bunch of their stuff. And the way that they have designed the house and laid it out. And you go, yeah, this isn't really me. And so maybe you begin to paint the walls, redo some rooms... Dwayne and Linda can talk a lot about this uh, with more experience. But eventually, you begin to make it more reflect you and your personality. And that's what's going on here is we have accepted Christ. We've put off the old self. But we're in that process of becoming more like God, more like Christ. So we're not fully yet like that, like Christ. But the reality is that the people of God have a holy calling. We are holy by calling. And the, the challenge to us is to be holy in life. And the, the problem is that the old self is corrupted. It's, it's dirty. It's following these deceitful practices. It's this idea of this moral decay. That man is not renewed. He's not converted or, or woman. The old man is the sum total of your former practices. It's your propensities. It's your attitudes. It's the prey to the harmful desires that beguile people into sin and error. And Paul says, take him off. You've already kind of done that when you've accepted Christ. But increasingly, get rid of that stuff. Get, a, get it out of your house. But instead, he says in verse 23... Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This new life requires an inward change that we can't accomplish. It requires not just the spirit of our mind, but the Holy Spirit on our mind. It's not something that's external and regulated by rules and, and commands, but it's, it's like what Romans 12.2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the, perf what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this requires the work of the Holy Spirit to progressively transform us to become more like Christ. This is a, a renovation. It's the tearing down of the old, uh, those old structures in the, of the feudal mind, and putting up these new structures of the holy mind. So it's not all at once. It takes time. In fact, over in 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 16, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, 
But though our outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And then we put on the nature of Christ. Now, this new self is not like the old. And in fact, the best way to understand this sentence would simply be put on Christ. The new man is essentially Christ. We're putting on Christ's likeness. Or at least we're like Jesus as his life has lived out in people. So if you're in Jesus, you're a new creation who's been incorporated into a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And Paul puts all of 22 through 24 in this illustration of changing clothes. And so I want you to imagine with me for a minute. You're a farmer, as was common in these days. You're a farmer working out in the field, but we're in Texas. So, you know, we're working out in the field. It's hot, summer heat. You're out working. You get your clothes hooked on some brambles, start getting them ripped up. You're sweating. You got dirt all over you. And then finally you finish your task for the day. Maybe the sun goes down and you, you have to stop for the day. So you go home. What do you do when you get home? Do you immediately get in your bed, go to sleep, as you are? No. What do you do first? Yeah, exactly. So you want to take a shower. What do you have to do? if you're, Are you just going to jump in the shower with all your clothes on? Yeah. You're going you're gonna to take those dirty clothes off, those ripped, torn clothes off. You're going to put them in the washing machine. Unless they're so ripped and torn, you're just going to throw them away, which increasingly seems to be what I find in my closet these days. But you got to get those old things off and get them away. Then you go and you take a shower. You wash your hair, get all the dirt and grime that's stuck in your hair out. Wash your body, get all that dirt and sweat off. And then you dry off and put on your new clothes. And I think this is the picture that Paul's painting here. Remember, he said that that old self is dead, spiritually dead. So what clothes are you going to be wearing if you're spiritually dead? Grave clothes. Zombie clothes. And you, as you come back to, to life in Christ, you cleansed by the blood and you're washed by the Spirit, and you put on Jesus. And this new man is enacted by the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing our mind to transform us to think of God correctly, to get rid of that futile thinking that we talked about earlier, and to put in right thinking with Christ, to think with his way of thinking. It's reversing what he was talking about in Romans 1. This knowledge of God is not divorced from walking in his ways. To know God properly is to be like him. He tells us continually, be holy as I am holy. So this is what he's telling us. Put away the old stuff and be renewed, be cleansed, be made whole in Christ by the power of the Spirit and conform to his ways. And we'll see more about what that means as we continue through this mini-series on walking worthy. But for now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.